If you can see it, you can be it. See the finished product and make that. Fake it till you make it. Everyone knows some aphorism about positive thinking and a satisfactory result. A positive state of mind does make succeeding easier. It's not a guarantee, but it increases the likelihood. But sometimes we are our own worst enemies and we don't really know it. Can there be something more at work stopping us from success even in the face of our positive affirmations? My guest and I dig deep to discover what might be holding you and me back. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 161. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Hello, folks. Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Who wants wine? without waiting on the shipping problem at the various ports to get solved. Use my affiliate link, culinarylibertarian.com slash CAWine, to join the California Wine Club and learn why they are the Internet's number one wine club. Check out the benefits you'll get as a member and see how holiday gift giving can be made simple with their gift sets. Check out conadlibertarian.com slash CAWine to learn more. My guest today is Nathan Frazier. Nathan is a marketer, a podcaster, and a proud propagandist. After a decade in sales and almost 25 years of working in the media, Nathan has some interesting insights on how the brain works, how it can be influenced, and how that can influence reality. Hello, Nathan. Thank you for joining me today on the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. Dude, I'm stoked to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. Well, stoked. That's, I don't get that often. I'm going to have to invite you back. Um, my pleasure. So before we get into this, and I, I think to my audience, the... You are a new person to my audience, and you are a marketer. But before we get into that, give us just a bit of your background, and we're going to then sort of just jump feet first into this talk. Okay, so I guess before I was a marketer, I was a hardcore conspiracy theorist. Going back to the late 90s, I started looking into psychology, mass movements, uh, propaganda. I also started looking into like the mystery schools, the uh, Freemasons, Rosicrucians, wow. all of that stuff. I, I was always intrigued by that kind of stuff. 9-11 happened and I watched the massive shift of American culture towards abandoning freedom for security. And uh, that spun me down a whole different rabbit trail of looking into things and then uh, not wanting or not really fitting in in the cultural environment of corporatism. I'm not, I mean, 
this is audio. If you could see me, I'm covered in tattoos, even all over my face. I'm not the, I'm not the best um, poster boy for corporate America. So I had to figure something else out. I wanted to start my own businesses. I kept failing. I, I drove four businesses into the ground before I realized, Hey, you know, a lot about psychology, you know, a lot about what makes people tick. Why don't you start using this to get sales? And so I started taking the lessons that I had learned. I also started researching a bunch about marketing and sales copy and advertising and realized that there was a lot of overlap between the stuff, the, the uh, propaganda and conspiracy theory stuff that I was into and where I was trying to go. And so I kind of had a head start and I got into marketing and I have not looked back since I love marketing. I do not view marketing the way that most people do as, as a as a manipulation tactic. I, I feel like the difference between good marketing and bad marketing as far as manipulation goes is whether you lead somebody to do something that they'll rejoice in later or that they'll regret later. And so I try to make sure all of my marketing is towards people that I know it will actually help, that it's a good fit for, and they won't feel like they got ripped off later. And so I approach marketing a little bit differently. Um, but I love marketing and I love helping small business owners. And also, I think that inside of the libertarian anarcho-capitalist uh, community, there is a lot of need for people to understand marketing and messaging better. I think a lot of people shoot themselves in the, in the foot with their messaging because they refuse to understand or learn about marketing. So that's kind of a side passion project for me is to get activists and uh libertarians out there to have a better understanding of how to position frame their their messages to have more impact because i think that it's important uh culturally that people that care about freedom know how to communicate and don't just look like the crazy guy standing on the street corner with a bullhorn right well there's a, at least a couple of things that apply one just learning for anybody, regardless your political affiliation or political agnosticity, to invent a word, understanding how other humans may think, probably a valuable asset to, to have, being able to earn an income outside of the four walls of a landed building, especially in in what the politics of the world is doing these days and I think boy <clears throat> that's that's a that's a skill so there's a couple of things that I think apply to lots of people here uh you have a podcast and I, I think you've changed the name of it it was previously uh, it had a fun acronym uh it was the dark arts marketing podcast and it was it was I think you had fun saying the damn podcast because you know it's it gets people's attention and getting people's attention is one way to make them pay attention. Uh, it may have been the last one before you transition and you can talk about the transition, but I want to read a little bit of a quote that I transcribed from that podcast. It really was the thing that said, there's, there's a lot of meat on these bones. I want to talk about this. Right. You, you said, quote, if you don't believe something is possible, you're not going to take action to actually make it fulfilled. You're not going to take the actions that are needed to do 
needed to do something if you don't think you're going to have any success, and if you don't think it's possible, you're not going to take the actions necessary to actually make it possible. So, believing that it's possible, believing that it is, that it already is, and then acting from that position. Yes, it's a little bit woo. Yes, it's a little bit fake until you make it, or put the cart before the horse, but there's power in belief, end quote. Now, the woo part I want to get into, the statement that there's power in belief, I think careers are made on, on that idea of, if I don't know if you know Mike Meharry, but Mike Meharry's been on the show. Uh, Mike's a, a Facebook friend of mine and recently had a tragedy in his life. His mom passed and he made a post that and he made a post about her and a memory that she had that she wrote. She said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Mm -hmm. And that sounds to me a lot like what you're saying here. So how does one start having a positive power of belief? There's a couple of different aspects to it. I do a lot of work with people on this particular aspect of business too. I've been doing marketing, consulting, marketing, and copywriting for businesses for about 10 years now. And a lot of times before we can really get results with the marketing and the, and the sales copy, a lot of times there's these hurdles that we have to overcome with different business owners. And a lot of times they're stuck by their own belief system. They believe this is as big as the business can get. Uh, they don't like it. They feel like they've hit a glass ceiling and they can't get any further. But it's not until we're able to break that glass ceiling that they actually start seeing the results. We can write a sales message. We can write some uh, sales funnel, some emails. We can start advertising. But a lot of times, and it's, I've, I've always been very skeptical of anything non-tangible. I've always been the, uh, I, I want to see the receipts to believe something. I want to see, you know, pics or it didn't happen. Um, over the last 10 years, my mind has shifted about this. And I realized that mindset and belief systems play a huge role in what's possible. And I even have come to the point where I, I've questioned and re-examined and come to a new understanding about consciousness in general. And maybe we can kind of go down that rabbit hole during this conversation. But it's... It's as simple as if you don't believe something, if you can't imagine something, you can't go past what you believe is possible. If you don't believe that you'll ever be able to make more than a living wage, you'll never be able to make more than a living wage. If you don't believe that your business is worth being a 10 or a 20 or a $100 million business, your business will never be a 10 or a 20 or a hundred million dollar business. If you set a limitation and you say, Hey, this is what I believe is possible. And I don't believe anything past this point is possible. You'll never be able to go past that point. Also in general, a lot of people have beliefs about themselves. Do I deserve this? Am I worth it? Is this the type of person that I am? What type of person will it make me if this happens in my life? And those belief systems also create little glass ceilings in our actions and what we're able to accomplish. And one of, one of the things that is a good exercise for me 
is when I believe something that when I'm when I'm able to pick out a self-limiting belief, when I'm able to say, okay, the reason I'm not able to do this is because of something I believe. It's usually a I'm not worth it or I don't deserve it or I'm not good enough or this just isn't for me. I'm just not this type of person. That's the most common self-limiting belief that I come across in myself and in other people. And usually it's just as simple as, okay, is this true? Just stopping and asking, catching yourself and being like, okay, this is the belief that I have, but is it true? And is it true all of the time? Or are there examples where it's not been true? I'm just not somebody who confronts authority figures. Okay, is that true? Sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's not. I'm just not somebody who can ask other people for money. That's why I'm not able to close my sales. I just don't feel good. I'm not, I'm not someone who can comfortably ask somebody for money. Okay. Is this true? Is it always true? Can you think of a time where you were able to ask somebody for money? Okay. You are somebody who can ask someone for money. Finding those examples where you say, you know what? I am somebody who can confront authority figures. I am somebody who can do something I'm afraid of. I am somebody who can stand up for myself and, and uh, make sure that I'm taken care of in, in this relationship or whatever the case may be. I am somebody who can provide something of value to other people that's worth having them pay me money for. If you can just think of one or two examples that, contra that go contrary to what you're telling yourself, to the story that you're telling yourself, and then you just say, okay, well, this isn't always true. Here's one or two examples where the opposite was true. And then you have to look at it again and be like, okay, yeah, I am somebody who deserves to be loved. I am somebody who deserves to be well-paid. I am somebody who deserves to follow my dreams. I am somebody who deserves to stand up for myself, who can stand up for myself, who succeeds when I stand up for myself. Those little mindset shifts are usually the most powerful. And for my business, for the for the clients that I work with, the people that I work with, it's usually those things. It's uh, people in our industry don't make more than this type, this much money, or my market isn't willing to pay more than this much, or uh, because of the way we're structured, we're not able to scale past this point. And it's usually just little mindset shifts like that that make the biggest impact more so than any of the like technical stuff, more so than plotting out or planning out new things or writing new email sequences or anything. It's usually just the, I need to believe that it's possible. And once that belief is there, then everything else falls into place. It's, it's again, I, I used to think this stuff was just stupid and woo, but after working for over a decade with people, it's, becoming more and more clear to me that it's not just the, uh, there's more at work than just the physical world and consciousness plays a large role in what happens in your reality and what happens in our shared reality. In, in your self-education into, into the mind, into the thinking and, and the readers you came across or the writers you came across, I don't know if you stumbled across someone named Jane Roberts, and she wrote, oh, I think it was in the 70s, and several books, and it was she, they were sort of collectively known as the Seth series. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I don't forget the one I read. I can't remember the name of the one I read, but it, it's, it was basically an instruction manual for how to 
how to recognize that you, first of all, what is a self-limiting belief? It tells you that this is what it is. And you sort of said, you, you, we all have them. I can't do this. I can't do that. Um, the juvenile response is, well, yeah, you can't jump to the moon. Yes, that part's true. But because I can't jump to the moon, doesn't mean that all of my self-limiting beliefs are now therefore true. Because I'm not six foot nine, I'm not going to dunk a basketball. I've tried. <laughs> I've got to, there are some actual physical limitations. And in this little body, even when I was a young body, I came close. I could barely touch the rim. And that was a thrill. Wow, this is exciting. But there are actual physical limitations on what my body can do. This book was to help figure out how do you take away the limitations that either you have created or, in most cases, and not by meanness, people have given you bad beliefs. And in and, and parents, and I'm a parent, and I think about this all the time. I think, oh, my God, what did I just do to this kid? And you, and you, it's never this gigantic barn-burning moment. It's just a thing you say in passing. And in your podcast, you mentioned a couple of them. Do you think money grows on trees? Or, or any other kind of an example, you have no, and now this is part of the problem, is you don't know what's going to happen with that thought. You don't know what that person is going to do with it. So you don't really bear, I don't think you bear a burden of responsibility for how that person uses it. But <clears throat> If your parents have given you these gifts of, well, you can't, you, fine, you know, but you're Polish, you can't do that. And you accept it and it becomes, becomes a self-limiting belief. So this Jane Roberts book is identify them, figure out where those things are because they, they don't actually physically exist like this Kindle on my desk exists, but they're in your brain. Learning how to go into your brain, that sounds weird, and find that belief, then disable it. And now, before you get there, you've got to figure out, through the help of this book, what do you want that belief to say instead? Mm -hmm. If the belief says you can't, okay, let's write something in the positive. I can, and then what's it going to be? Now, that's hard. And it, it's, not, it's not labor hard, it's not digging a ditch, but oh, it takes effort. It takes serious effort. And that's about as woo, I think, as we can get. Is, is this the kind of thing you're talking about? Getting into consciousness, getting into, well, it's literally mind-altering, but it isn't with, it's, it's by choice, not with chemicals. That could be by choice, too. Boy, I'm tripping myself up here. Can you add to that? Can you embellish on that? Yeah. So the way that I think about it is I kind of think of it as a computer program. We have a lot of these programs that are running in the background. Uh, it's difficult to consciously be aware 24 seven of everything that's going on and everything that's happening inside your own head, what's leading to the decisions that you're making. Your brain eats up a lot of calories. It's hard to, so you've got to figure out what am I going to put my attention on? What am I, what am I going to put on autopilot? And a lot of times we have these computer scripts that are running in the background that are like, if this, then that programs, if, right. if I hit this roadblock, then I turn left. 
and because turning left worked for you well when you were in fifth grade and you said, okay, this is my program from now on. When I encounter this thing, I make a turn to the left or I handle it this way or I handle it that way. And it served us once when we were inexperienced and we didn't understand things the way that we do now, but we just keep using that program. We keep defaulting to that program and we do it without even thinking about it. And a lot of times it's just going in and finding those programs and asking yourself, okay, when I do this, when I encounter this, this is what I usually do. And this is the hardest part for most people is to stop and think about the way that they think. It's, it's uh, terrifying. It opens up a bunch of can of worms that we don't really want to get into. Um, but it's some of the most powerful stuff that you can do for yourself. But you stop and you say, okay, when I'm offered a jelly donut, I do this. Is this really leading me down the path that I want to get? My path is I want to get over here to this North Star that I'm trying to get to. But every time I hit this obstacle, I divert to the West or I divert to the East. And when this happens, I don't even think about it. I just start walking to the West and now I'm not walking towards the North anymore. How do I make sure that when this happens, I start walking, I keep walking to the North. I keep going. My actions are in alignment with where I want to be, where I want to go. And doing that, it's hard work, but again, it's, it's the, and I guess the other way to think about it too is, um, I don't know if you're old enough to remember, remember the old cable boxes that you would plug in the little things in the back and it would I'm run through. I'm old enough to remember there were no cable boxes. Okay. 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 So when cable boxes came out, a lot of them had the, Wall and the cable, the the cable and the wall would go straight into the box and you get your basic cable programs. But then they had these little adapters that you could put onto the cable box and run it through. And then you could get HBO or you could get Cinemax or you could get some of the other cable programs. Cinemax. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, I think it's kind of like that, though. A lot of these programs, whether we put them there ourselves or whether our parents put them there, our teachers put them there, our bosses put them there, the politicians put them there, the world bankers put them there, whoever puts them there, these programs that allow us to access basic cable and then all of the other little uh, programs that would allow us to access other parts of reality are just shut down. They've been taken out or they've been blocked or they've been unscrewed. And so when we go to check out HBO, all the cool kids got HBO, all the successful people got HBO. I can't get HBO because I've got this lack of a program or I've got this negative program blocking HBO and going in there and being like, okay, where did this, who unscrewed this? Who denied me access to HBO? Why? Why do I believe that I don't deserve HBO? Where can I get, what can I do? How can I flip the switch from if this, if I go to channel 34, I get HBO, or if I go to channel 34, it's just fuzzy static imagery. How do I switch the programming so that when I go to channel 34, I get HBO. And I think a lot of it is that I also, again, have some thoughts about consciousness. And I think that, um, there are, aspects of life, aspects of reality that if we don't, if we don't have our consciousness tuned a specific way, just like the cable box, we're just not able to get them. And it's, uh, it's a, it's a process of going in and examining. Can I get real woo with you for a second? Yes, please do. 
Okay. So they've done experiments on schools of fish where a school, you've seen schools of fish where mm-hmm. one of them changes direction and at the exact instant, all the rest of them change direction. They're swimming this way. And then all of a sudden the whole school, it's not like a, it's not like one of them sees it and then he does it. And then it becomes a wave of everybody. It's just right away. Instinctively, they all change direction at the same time. You've seen that happen before, right? Yes. Okay. So they've done movies now personally. Gotcha. So they've done experiments where a fish a quarter mile away that is somehow tuned in with the school of fish sees a predator. He's up scouting or he's off swimming in his own little thing and he sees a predator and he turns and, and takes a hard right turn and swims away from the predator and the school of fish that he belongs to or she belongs to or they them belong to the whole school of fish at the exact moment, even without seeing the predator turns and takes a hard right turn at the exact same moment. They aren't at the point yet where they fully understand why, but I feel like there's a very similar thing in humanity. Sometimes you can just vibe with someone and you can finish their sentences. Sometimes you get a feeling about someone and you give them a call and they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe you called this crazy thing just happened to me. I was just about to call you. Uh, sometimes you think the phone's about to ring and you're like, Oh man, Mary's going to call me. And then 20 seconds later, the phone rings and it's Mary. Have you experienced something like that before? I I'm laughing because yes and it was <laughs> more than one time i would pick up the phone to call my mother and she was on the phone calling me <laughs> yeah like, so wait a minute, this is so my- i think everybody has that i think they're the 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 friend the we can it's almost like the long lost twin where mm-hmm. you, you you and in some and, it's actually happened that I can't remember who it was, which is kind of tragic, but it was as if I had never met this person, but we bonded immediately, kind of really pissed off my friend because I spent all my time with this person who I'd never seen before. And we had hours of conversation over stuff we shouldn't actually have known anything about, but somehow we did. So yeah, I I, I hope everybody can identify with that because it's... It is an exhilarating experience. So this is my theory of everything. I believe that consciousness exists in two forms. There's the individual consciousness, and then there's this greater like cloud computing consciousness that's just out there. There's this signal of consciousness. And our brains are like receivers. Our consciousness isn't actually in our brains. Our brains are a receiver for the consciousness. And it, it communicates back and forth with the greater consciousness of the universe and our individual consciousness. And I think that when fish do the, the whole school of fish changing direction at the same time, I think they're more keyed into each other's connected consciousness. And I think that when you, when you think about someone and they call you or you're dialing somebody and they call you, or when you think someone's going to knock at the door and it's them or any of these instances, I think what that is, is a little bit of tapping into that overall consciousness. And I think that as you develop your receiver, as you 
sit and meditate and work on metacognition, thinking about the way that you think, thinking about how your thinking impacts your life, these type of things, I think you get more clued in, even if unconsciously, even if not deliberately, you get more clued into this more of a meta consciousness that's out there. And again, going back to breaking down the mental roadblocks and seeing these giant breakthroughs, a lot of times when we decide, okay, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, you hear a new word on a podcast and you're like, I've never heard that word before. I'm going to go look it up and see what it means. And then three times in the next two days, you hear the word again. And you're like, how did I go? How did I go 38 years never hearing this word? And now I've heard it three times in the last 48 hours. That's just crazy. And I think it's because, yes, there's hyper focusing. Oh, I'm thinking about getting a red car. Now I see red cars everywhere. There's yeah. that. I'm not denying that. But I also think that there's the old saying when the student is ready, the master appears. It's true. When you decide, I'm going to work towards this. This is where I want to go. I'm dedicating myself. I'm going to make this happen. This is what I'm willing to sacrifice to make it happen. This is what, what I'm willing to do. I'm assuming it's already going to happen for me. I know it's going to happen for me. I'm going to start working down towards this path. Then things start revealing themselves to you. Things, the path starts revealing the way to get there. Uh, you decide, okay, I'm going to do this. And then you log on to YouTube and there's a video that says, Hey, check this three tips on how to get this goal that you've never even talked about out loud. Here's how you get it accomplished. Or you go on to audible and audible recommends an audio book on the exact same thing that you were just thinking about. And yes, maybe it's the algorithms. Maybe it's the AI is that smart. I'm not exact. I'm not completely writing that off, but even before the algorithms, I experienced this over and over again. Um, uh, I'm just going to finish it off with a real quick story. I'm working right now with a client. He's in the cannabis industry. I wanted to get in the cannabis industry for years. I live in Colorado and I'm like, dude, I need to figure out some sort of way to hack into the cannabis industry. I want to work in the cannabis industry. I want to write for the cannabis industry. And I kept trying and I kept trying and I just kept running into brick walls. I didn't like the people. I won't work for a client unless I believe in what they're selling and I like them. And I just kept running into people I didn't like. I didn't believe in what they were selling. And I just given up. And I said, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen, but I'm not going to force it anymore. And this guy hits me up on Facebook and he's like, dude, I was listening to the Dangerous History podcast and they had Brett Vinat on there. So then I started listening to School Sucks and Brett Vinat was doing a podcast about marketing and he was talking to you and everything you were saying was the most awesome stuff. I was like, this guy really gets marketing. And then you mentioned that you took your daughter swimming at horse tooth reservoir on that podcast. And I live on horse tooth reservoir. You should come out and check out my business. <laughs> and so he's listening to a podcast I recorded months ago in the middle of, of the lockdowns of Corona and, and all this crazy stuff. And he's digging my podcast. And then he hears that I go swimming at a reservoir that he lives on. And then he tells me, he finally gets me to go out to his business and he works in the cannabis industry. And I've been working with him for about four months now. It's amazing. I love what I get to sell with this guy. And it was just, it was when I made the decision, okay, I'm going to not force this anymore. If it's meant to happen, it's going to happen. And then this guy coincidentally goes down a rabbit trail. He's looking for a marketer. I've decided to let the universe either make it happen or not happen. And then 
he's like, holy crap, this guy who I love this podcast episode at the end of the podcast, he just mentioned that he goes swimming right next door to where I live at. Just those synchronicities. I, I, I'm at the point now where I can no longer continue going on thinking that there's not something more than just the physical world going on. I was going to say that you brought up the basically just stop forcing it, which was point three on the podcast episode I mentioned. And, and I, I figure out what the number is. I'll put a link to that specific podcast episode, which won't be called Dark Arm Marketing. You can talk about that in a minute. But I'll put that on the show notes page, which is culinarylibertarian.com slash 161. When you said, don't force it. And now by this, this, uh, this meeting of this guy and all of these seemingly impossible, synchronistic, inventing another word, moments, it makes me think of the phrase, and I'm not particularly religious, but I know the phrase, let go and let God. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know, and this isn't the show for you to get into your religious beliefs, but there is, I think, discussing a consciousness greater than greater than the sum of humanity. And I, I think that that's entirely possible. It's even plausible. I think if you're going to talk about that, at least requires acknowledging the possibility of something bigger, something, a deity, a God, whatever, however that fits in with whatever you think about the world. I think that that's an appropriate place to take that. Uh, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not the person to ask those questions because it's just not, it's, I, I've put my toe in that sea, but it's far too big for me to speak cogently about it, but I'm aware that it exists. And I think there might be something to that. There's a, in, so, so the fifth grade response of, I see this, I go left. I see this, I go left be, becomes this repetition. And we're also told and, and also we figure out that if I want to get good at something, you emulate the person who's good at it. So if you want to learn to play basketball, well, I mean, I'm revealing my age, but you you follow, well, Dr. J or uh, Magic or Michael, because those were, and Kareem, those were the people who were, who are at the top of their, literally at the top of their game. And if you want to learn a skill from the best, those were great examples of ball handling skill and players who you would emulate. Uh, for for me as a chef, Paul Bocuse, and it's hard to find somebody better than that. And then there's a whole bunch who are really, really good for bakers or cakes. If you're um, Ron Ben Israel, <laughs> good luck. Um, uh, Nancy Silverton for bakers, uh, Peter Reinhardt for bakers. There's lots of people who are experts in whatever the field is. Of, of being expert with tangible things, with things you can touch. My own limiting belief, well, <laughs> one of them is I, I can visualize a thing that never existed in dough and figure out how to do it. And the first one might be okay, but I can figure out where the mistakes were and improve on that. Where I get all flummoxed is with things I can't touch. I don't understand how I can wire rope, I can put the socket into my house because I can follow a book, but I don't understand electricity. I can't see it move. 
There's these two wires, and one will knock your ass on the floor, and the other one's fine. Where now this isn't this isn't a request for tutoring, but with writing quote unquote copy, writing even something on Facebook that's going to get some anybody to buy my cookbook, boy, I struggle with that because I don't I don't know that I have been moved by a piece of copy in 15 years. And I've thought, I've deliberately thought really hard on this. The stuff that comes in my box, I don't even look at it. It just, it's offensive. I get, I get direct mail. It's just, who am I, two? It goes in the group, just goes in the bin, goes in the bin. I don't read it. Stuff that comes on Facebook. If I know this is where the trick is, if I think I need it, I saw something I clicked on because it was about garlic growing and, and I want to know more about garlic growing. So I'm interested in that. The reason I got that is because I clicked on something else about garlic. So that's Facebook doing its job. Because I can't see the words working in a person's head, that's my struggle. I don't know how to write the words in a way that gets to actuate the reader to, holy crap, I have to stop what I'm doing and go click on this link. Dude, what the hell, man? How? <laughs> so that's... That's hard to me. That's that I'd, I'd rather invent something, something with croissant. I mean, croissants have been made, but give me a thing I can work with, thing I can touch. Okay, something gonna, tactical I can deal with. I'm going to give you two things. Number one, again, goes back to belief systems. Uh, do you believe in what it is that you're selling? Do you believe that it actually helps people? Do you believe that it's worth? doing whatever you have to do in order to get their attention and get it into their hands. A lot of people, their self doubts, the I'm not good enough. My product's not good enough. And I'm not saying this about you, but I'm just saying, this is something I've noticed. A lot of people, the hesitancy to promote starts there. I don't want, if I, if this gets into people's hands, are they going to tell me it was crap? Are they going to tell me it didn't work for them? Are they going to tell me it wasn't worth the three ninety five that I asked them for? There's that, and that holds people back. Holds a lot of even brilliant people, even people who's who have something that could be revolutionary and changing people's lives for the better. They're still worried. Well, what if it gets into the wrong person? What if the wrong person gets it and it doesn't work for them? And then they start bashing me and then I'm responsible because I gave them advice that didn't work for them. Or I taught them a recipe and they ended up having a gluten allergy and it ended up making them have this bad reaction. And I didn't know, like all of these things start coming up and we're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't promote it. Maybe I shouldn't do everything I possibly can to get it into the hands of the people that I think it will help. That's one thing. The other thing, and we've been Facebook friends for a long time. I'm not sure if you're on my email list or not, but my copy is not the same as most copy. And the biggest difference, I'm giving away probably my number one secret right here. Uh, I'm not trying to promote myself. I'm not trying to speak for myself. Everybody, when they go to promote, they're like, hey, let me tell you about my new book. Hey, let me tell you about this cool thing that I'm doing. Hey, when they get onto Facebook, hey, let me show you pictures of dinner that I made last night. Or hey, let me tell you about what me and, and Shelly did or what my kid did in their soccer game. And that's okay, but that doesn't, that doesn't lead to a fanatic fan base that'll buy whatever you put out. 
I'm at the point now. I'm just like, Hey, I put out this thing. This is why you should buy it. And people start sharing my sales messages. I'll put it, I'll promote some, I just promoted a new book and probably got 50 or 60 shares on the couple of posts that I put out on Facebook. Just people being like, I just bought this book. It's amazing. You have to buy it too. Um, and the thing is the difference that I think makes all the difference. The thing that I do differently that makes all the difference is my copy is not about, or my just engagement, my relationship building with people. I do a lot of relationship building before I ask people to buy. I, I give and I give and I give before I ask people to buy. And the way that I give is not what I want. It's not, if you notice most of my stuff, it's not about what I want to tell people. It's not, here's what I think you should know about. Here's my message that I want you to hear about. Here's my new product that I want you to hear about. Most of my relationship building content is not about what I want to tell you. It's about what you want to consume and what you want to tell your audience. So when I'm creating a book, it's not, I want to write this book because I want people to buy it. It's, I want to write this book because I know people want to buy it. When I'm creating a post on social media or when I'm writing an email, it's not, I want to. I want people to know that I feel this way about things. It's my audience wants their audience to know that they feel this way about this thing. Who's my audience and what do they want to tell their audience? That's what my messaging is about. It's not about the message I want people to hear. It's about the message I know my audience wants their audience to hear. And so when they see my my Facebook posts, or when they read one of my emails and they're like, this guy nailed it. I want everyone who follows me to know this. And then they send out my emails, they copy and paste my emails. And then other people go sign up for my email list because they, they blast it out to their list or they see my Facebook post and they're like, Oh my God, this guy said it so perfectly. I want everybody who's following me to know that this is exactly what I was trying to tell them. And so they share my Facebook posts. Most of my following, most of the reason that I have rabid fans is because my messaging isn't about me and what I want. It's about what my audience wants all the time. When I'm, when I'm going to write any kind of copy, the first thing that I'm asking is, is my audience getting what they want out of this piece of sales copy? Does this advertisement give them what they want? And if it does, they're going to like it. They're going to share it. They're going to push it into their newsfeed and to the newsfeed of the people that they're, that are following them. So, that's the big difference, I think, between the way I advertise and the way most other people advertise and the type of advertisements that you were talking about that you just can't stand is nobody wants to have an advertiser shove their junk down their throat. They want something that they want. And most advertisers and most uh, business owners, it's hard to get into the mind of what my audience wants and giving my audience what they want before I ask for something in return. Um, but again, that for me, that's been the secret. My audience feels like I speak for them. And so every time I put something out, every time I sell something, they have this relationship with me where they feel connected to me. They feel like I get them. And it's very simple to get people to just buy everything that I put out. I have, I have a loyal following of I don't know, probably a couple thousand people who every time I put a new book out, that day, I'm going to get a couple hundred sales. The next day, I'm going to get a couple hundred sales. Within a month, I'm going to get a thousand sales. Every time I put a new training out in one of my courses, I'm going to have a bunch of people buy it before it's available for anybody else. And 
it's to the point now because I've built that relationship. Again, going back to that consciousness, I'm not speaking for me. I'm speaking for the whole tribe. I'm speaking for everybody that's in my community. I'm speaking for the shared consciousness. I understand what my audience feels, what they're looking for, what they're afraid of, who they're against, what they're for, what they're trying to accomplish, what kind of messaging they want to put out there. And I make that the backbone of my messaging. I also, and if you followed me for a while, you notice that with my political posts, it's the same thing. It's not me ranting about my political beliefs. It's me putting out stuff that when other people are scrolling through, they're going to see it and they're going to say, yes, this is exactly how I feel. I'm going to share this. Or they're going to say you're completely wrong. You get a lot of engagement on those posts. I do. And, and you know what? I'm okay with people saying that I'm completely wrong because I understand that my message is for my group of people, my tribe, and I'm not afraid to, I'm at the point now where I'm not afraid to run off some, uh, last year I posted something about not being completely convinced that we were being told the truth about 9-11. And I had a guy that I was on the line for a $15,000 contract to write a sales page for him. And he just dropped me. He said, no, I can't believe you would say that. I can't believe you would even question that. I, I can't work with you. And it was like, okay, well, I guess we're not going to work together. And um, being, able to, being able to say, hey, this is who I'm for and this is who I'm not for. And I don't need money from everybody. I only need money for the, from the people that I can actually help and I'm actually going to groove with and actually get me. And Again, kind of getting over that desperation. I need to make sales. I need to get right. this book out. I need to get this course out. I need everybody to buy it. No, I just need the right people to buy it. I just need the right people who get me to get it. In the in, in that consciousness web, it's entirely possible that that relationship with that guy might not have worked out well anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, who can say it's an, it's, it's unverifiable. It's un, unfalsifiable. That's one of my favorite phrases nowadays on Twitter when people put out these idiotic posts, but anyway. Well, it, it goes back to the force versus flow. You can be in a relationship with somebody and you can have them handcuffed and you can get jealous every time that they look at somebody else and you can uh, have all these insecurities about I'm not good enough and I need to make sure that this girl is locked down in the kitchen barefoot popping out babies and she never has a social life so that she can't ever have the possibility of cheating on me. I'm going to do everything I can do to force this relationship to work. Or you can say, hey, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And we both could find somebody who better suits us and is more in line with the way that we flow. Same thing with client work, same thing with selling anything. It's it's just understanding, hey, for some people, this is going to be the cookbook that changes their life. And for other people, this is probably not the cookbook for them. And just understanding who is it that's going to be improved and then making all of your messaging to appeal to those people and to speak for those people and to not worry about the other group of people. That last couple of lines, I was going to have my next question. Turns out you just answered it in, in a way you didn't know what's going to happen. Well, maybe you did. Maybe it's consciousness. Uh, is there a, and so my, my question was, is there a some point where emulation costs that individual something because we are not. We are now not finding our own true self, but we're trying to copy somebody else. And I have to. I have to. The answer for me in this question is yes. 
in, in the attempt to copy, settle, and, and uh, um, Michael, what's it, Cheney, and a handful of others who I, I don't think Cheney and Ben Settle's success is arguable. I think that, that I think it functions, I think it works, but it works for them. Mm-hmm. I don't think there can be Ben Settle too, Michael Cheney too, uh, Bob Bly too. So emulation works up to a point and then it just doesn't work. So I think you're right. I need to figure out, and I sort of knew that. I just didn't really, hmm. I sort of knew it in sort of sort of abstract sense, but didn't actually internalize it and make it part of what I know and then therefore part of how I act. Wow, that's big. That's woo. <laughs> Let's take a moment out for a word from Jake about his Tasting Anarchy podcast. Hey everyone, Jake here, host of the Tasting Anarchy podcast. Join my co-host Mason and I each week as we explore the world of wine and alcohol through a liberty lens. You can find us on all your major podcatchers, tastinganarchy.com or Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Find out how much government is in your drink. Um, I know you have a budget to keep, time budget to keep, so I want to move into what is my short answer part of the show, and because this is kind of fun. I think this is, I, I like it, so that's why we're going to do it. Of the five flavors, sweet, salty, bitter, sour, and umami, which one's your favorite? I'm a fat kid. I'm going to go with sweet. What's your favorite food? My favorite food? Okay, uh, there's a Greek way to prepare salmon and potatoes, and I don't know the name of the recipe. I just know it because I've done it so many times, but uh, salmon and potatoes in a Greek way of preparing it is going to be my favorite food. I'm gonna. I, I don't usually step too much out in here, but I'm gonna. I'm gonna just tell the listeners that if you the mainland's fine, really, Greek food, fine cookbooks on the islands. Holy crap! Greek food is some of the best food you'll ever have. It's astonishing, it's spectacular. Yes. What is your least favorite food? My least favorite food is also the sugary foods. I was working in a bakery for a long time. It all just started to look like diabetes to me. So yeah. I, I try to stay away from it, but um, also it's the one that I have the hardest uh, battle with my own willpower to stay away from. Yes, I understand. What sound do you love? The rain. I love the sound of rain. What sound do you hate? Yeah. I, mean, I don't think I hate any sounds. Um I'm not a I'm not a big person that focuses on things that I hate, so it's hard for me to even think of it. No, that's another episode right there. And what is your favorite food indulgence? My favorite food indulgence? Probably pumpkin bread, pumpkin loaf from oh. Starbucks. Hmm. There was a He's a giant, I don't know, he may have retired, but years ago there was a fellow, and I, I wish I could remember his name, bread bakers and, and bakers and, and pastry chefs have magnificent competitions where the it's just, the skill level is unbelievable. And a guy, 
what is his name? He was a baker, bread baker from Johnson, Wales, made a pumpkin bread. But where you would expect it to be a sweet bread, like zucchini or banana bread, it wasn't. It had, and as it was described by the judges, it had all the pumpkin flavor you would expect, but it had it had a light crumb, like a French bread. And it sounds like, man, this is a guy I want to follow. That's a guy I want to emulate. <laughs> <laughs> nice. How can people find you and follow your work? Um, Hack the Matrix is the new name for the podcast. Right. So if you want to check that out on YouTube or on your podcast app, look up Hack the Matrix. My name's Nathan Frazier, F-R-A-S-E-R. And other than that, the best ways to catch my content is either following me on Facebook. I'm the Nathan Frazier with a bunch of face tattoos or uh, signing up for my email list and getting my emails. And you can do that over at copyandfunnels.com. That's copyandfunnels.com. Awesome. Well, I will put those things on the show notes page. Uh, and since you're, let me see if my Kindle will open up fast enough. Tell us the name of the book that I bought just yesterday. Startup Cheat Codes. That's the one. And it's, uh, I wrote it because a lot of people are, in the position where they're not employed right now, either because their job closed down due to pandemic restrictions, or a lot of people are, are drawing the hard line in the sand and saying, look, if you're going to force me to get this mandate, I'm just going to not be employed here anymore. And a lot of people are just tired of being taken advantage of by these giant corporations. And so starting your own business and knowing how to effectively run a business is becoming more and more attractive to people. And so over the last 10 years of working with a bunch of different business leaders of all, all different shapes and sizes and, and areas of success, typically there's five areas when we go into their business, there's five key areas that we hit first and have the most impact. And then have them willing to pay me to stick around for longer because they see the results that we get. Um, but if you can model your business, if, you, if you're just starting a business and you know these five things before you start your business, you'll have a much higher chance of success than the 90% of businesses that fail in the first five years. And so I wanted to make these insights available for people. It's a, it's like a 20 minute read. It's just straight to the point. There's no fluff. There's no beating a dead horse over and over again. It's just, this is what you need to know. This is how to make things as easy to sell as possible. This is how to make your message as easy to convert people as possible with. And, um, it's, I put it together. It's, I think it's only 99 cents. I made it as cheap as possible because I want it to get into as many hands as possible. I don't write this. I didn't write this book for money. I didn't write it to uh, add to my sales funnel. I only put it out there because of the situation that we're in. I'm um, very, very sold on the idea that entrepreneurs are what the world needs right now. Business owners, small business owners is what the world needs right now. And I want to make it as easy as possible for people to do. So the book is called Startup Cheat Codes. And again, you can just go on to Amazon and look up Nathan Frazier, or you can look up Startup Cheat Codes and you can find it there. And I will even add the link to the show notes page. And I did get it, and I read it in about an hour, but I was watching my kid practice volleyball too. So, uh, And yes, no fluff, very succinct, just just good information. No, well, when I was five, <clears throat> <laughs> Aunt Sally came by saying, all right, enough of that. 
Uh, all right, so I think we you got time. You have a thing to do, so let me say goodbye. Thank you for accommodating me. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. All right, folks, that's going to do it. I'll put the link to the episode I mentioned, which is now on the Hack the Matrix podcast, formerly the Dark Art of Marketing podcast, on uh, today's show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 161. If you're interested in mass psychology, media manipulation, marketing, mindset, or manifestation, Nathan's the guy to follow. You can find more about him and his work at the link on the show notes page or copyandfunnels.com. I mentioned Jane Roberts. She has several books, but the one I meant to identify is called The Nature of Personal Reality. I'll add that link to the show notes page as well. If you're a book listener and not a book reader, the Nature of Personal Reality book is available on Audible. Use my link, culinarylibertarian.com slash audible to join for free for 30 days. Quit the program before the free trial expires. Keep the book, and that's it. Or become a member and do as you will. If you like what I'm doing here, I would appreciate your support at culinarylibertarian.com slash support. Also, Leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian Podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.